0: Welcome to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Sovigan and we are live on the green at Heritage Point Golf Club in Calgary, Alberta. The Canadian golf season is at its midpoint and from the Canadian Open to local club championships, players are testing themselves in the heat of battle. This episode, we're going to talk about how to approach competition. For coaches, how to get your pupils ready for it plus a look back at the Open Championship, a look forward to the Canadian Open, and on Paul's pointers, Horty will talk about the short game, perhaps the most overlooked part of scoring.
1: The simplest way is uh, paulhortongolf.com, or you can go on golfchannelacademy.com or heritagepoint.com.
0: And if you want more on it, just listen to our third episode of uh, Hit Your Second Shot First. We talked about it at length the last time. You can find that, of course, on the PGA of Canada website Let, let's talk about competition we're talking in between the open championship and the Canadian open across the country players are playing match play their club championships it's often as I can tell you a very disappointing experience for players who are unacquainted with pressure how would you advise the average player to deal with the pressure even even at the club level
1: well at the club level typically there's a variety of flights and uh, the, most of the players in the event typically don't play in competition um, so they, it's a different, it's a different game in itself. Um, you know, you got to hold the ball out. Maybe they're not used to that. So I would say that to, to prep for all of this is is have the the proper practice procedures. You want to practice uh, more like you play, so game like practice or game like training. Um, adding what
0: does that mean? What does that mean? Give me an example.
1: Well. Most of the time I see players on the range, they sort of rake and hit balls, rake another ball out and hit. And so they're getting some exercise. um, And, you know, if they're working on something and and hitting to the same target, it's what we call block practice. And, you know, they might get into a good groove and feel good about themselves at at that moment, but golf isn't played that way. (laughs) Golf is is more random, so they need to add uh, a sense of, you know, more more about how to play the shot and, instead of play golf swing um, and, and try to raise the level of, of uh, commitment to the shot and, and the importance of the shot. So have, have the shot uh, have more meaning to it.
0: And are we talking about visualizing here? Uh, let's say doing a strategy before you get, get out there. Okay, I'm thinking of the 11th hole is tough for me. Uh, should I be visualizing that before I get in there, or should I wait until, see what the conditions are when I get to the tee box?
1: Yeah, that's, that's always helpful to take some holes that might not suit your eye, uh, the ones that would give you problems typically, and, and imagine yourself out there, you're on the range, but imagining that you're, you're on the 11th hole, whatever hole it might be that gives you the, the issues, and say, here's, here's my fairway between these markers, and it's, I'm not trying to just hit the fairway, but I want a specific target inside that fairway. Um, you know, if, if it's a driver that you're working on, if it's approach shots, there might be certain greens that that uh, give you trouble approaching, and you're just trying to create uh, through your imagination those situations. So you, you, if you can't get on the golf course and actually do that, you know, you have to do your best uh, on the range in terms of imagination.
0: Uh, I think we're talking a little bit about expectations too, as we as we head into it. Uh, tournament Uh, you may be I may be answering your question here anyhow but what what is the biggest mistake that the average but we're not talking about the guys who are playing the open last weekend but what is the biggest mistake that the average player makes going in
1: well I think you know typically when you play with your buddies they you know they you're not used to holding out necessarily (laughs) so putting becomes an issue Um, you know the course conditions typically most clubs will make the greens firmer and faster than they are for the rest of the season. Um, that generally leads to higher scores. Just tougher conditions. Um, you know, I think players might need to have less expectations and, and just you know play the shot at hand and not worry so much about the outcome. So I I see a lot of um, you know, members just they try too hard. Uh, they worry too much about uh, you know the end result and, and not about the process. So there's there's also the nerves and anxiety and peer pressure and what are people going to think <laughs> if if I shoot if I shoot X you know what are people going to think about me? The reality is, you know, if you're a good guy and a good guy to play with, people don't care whether you shoot 65 or 85 or whatever the number might be. Um, you know, as long as you're okay to play with them, and, and they understand if you're um, a certain handicap and you've shot much higher than your your normal game then you know that that's just part of the process right
0: so you're not suggesting that we get all liquored up before we play either to get rid of our our anxiety
1: <laughs> no i i think it's just uh, don't worry so much about uh, you know the outcome you've, you you've got to try and you know do your best to stay calm and whatnot And i think leading up to the tournament it might be helpful to go out and actually f- play like you would in a tournament in terms of holding out shots and hitting provisional balls when necessary. If if one's questionable about being lost or out of bounds, you need to play another one. And, um, you know, a lot of times when you're in the heat of battle, people make poor decisions, mm. right? And we can lead into, um, I, I guess, a question on strategy that you might bring up down the road here. But, um, you know, generally emotions play a big role and, and you know, it, it generally leads to bad decisions, you know, poor putting, nervousness and, and, you know, three and four putting more than you might ever do uh, on a normal game.
0: And I'm presuming players at my level, the amateur level, we have more trouble than the other people in letting go of bad shots, and I guess that's a big issue too.
1: Yeah, I would say too, and, and, you know, a lot of the competitive players that I work with, the juniors and the collegiate players and the pros, they're used to competition, and so they have different issues that, that show up, whereas the average club player playing in an event like the club championship it's just uh, something that's somewhat new to most of them and, and you know as you play in more club championships it, it might get a little easier but it's, it's a once a year type of thing and it's, uh, it's not something you normally do.
0: You're a teacher, so this is. I'm, I'm asking you a question, maybe to go against <laughs> against your livelihood here. But is it is a good idea for the average person to take a lesson going into a competition, or is that maybe just maybe too much to think about in, in a stressful situation?
1: Yeah, I think it's always good to tune up your game prior to the event. Um, you know, great coaches will will know what to overlook and and give the right amount of advice for players. So, um, you, you know. We as coaches understand that, hey, you've got to play and we don't want to give you too much uh, because too much can be dangerous out there. And a lot of people might get nervous about taking a lesson prior to a big event. And really, it can be quite helpful as long as you have some lead time to kind of work through some issues. Um, So it really depends on how much time you have leading into the tournament as to what I might do with a player or what other coaches should do.
0: Because sometimes we hear about it at the elite level uh, guys the, the day before, somebody notices something with his hand position, he changes it, he wins the tournament. I mean, sometimes that happens. But you you think maybe a little lead time, a little assimilation, what, five or six days to sort of work it out?
1: Yeah, if you've got a few days in between, uh, five or six days would be a good timeline to lead in and work on a few things. Uh, also maybe talk about core strategy. So maybe the lesson isn't about technique. It might be about, hey, let's go out and play nine holes and let's say, hey, um, you know when the greens are firmer and faster and you don't want to short side yourself uh, which would leave a difficult up and down to save par. Um, so just things like that I mean our place at Heritage Point here is most of the greens if you're long it's it's not easy to get up and down so um, you really have to strategize as to where should you not miss it and where can you miss it to, to maybe leave a chance for up and down. That's what most players overlook. They they laser a, a yardage in and they go i got i got 153 yards to the hole but they don't look what's behind the pin they don't look what's what's in front of the pin mm. is it better to be a little longer a little short a little left little right so yeah. those things play a big role because decision making is is part of scoring
0: yeah i know we have a lot of guys who are teachers who listen to the podcast and i guess they'd be interested in your advice what do you, if you're talking to teachers we're dealing with these guys going into tournaments what's your advice to the teachers getting their, their players prepped
1: well keep it simple um you know work on work on weaknesses but also don't um, don't not work on your strengths as well if you're driving is a strength don't forget to work on that as well but um you know every player is different and i think it's it's as coaches we need to um, give the right amount generally that's that's not necessarily a lot uh, in, in most cases. It's, it's just a small piece that, that will help fit in to, mm. to help the puzzle of playing better.
0: Let's move along to Paul's pointers. As we do every uh, episode, we talk a little bit about some specific pointers, and this one really dovetails with, I think, a lot of what you're talking about. While guys hammer away at the drivers and the long irons on the range, the results, of course, come from good wedge play around the green. They set up their putts, and they bail out errant drives. First, what clubs and how many wedges do you recommend an average
1: player carry? Well, you're allowed to carry 14 in, in most competitive- uh, 14 wedges? <laughs> well, I would, I would recommend most players will be three to four wedges. It depends on the player, I would say. Generally, um, you know, you're gonna have a pitching wedge, a gap wedge, sand wedge, and a lob wedge. That would be a normal makeup these days. Back in in the early days when I started, we had a pitching wedge and a sand wedge and that was it. Now, you know, uh, the the lofts and the clubs got stronger and that posed the need for a gap wedge and then we got lob wedges now that that, uh, they all come in a variety of different degrees. But you want to have a a makeup where you have good gapping between your wedges and good uh, maybe uh, sole design so you have the right bounce for the right Mm -hmm. turf conditions. Um, we saw at the British Open that that there's a number of clubs you can use to chip with, um, and basically you can chip with any club in your bag. Um, and I'm a big proponent of, of using uh, a club like the hybrid. Um, and if you don't have a hybrid, most players do. But if, you know, it could be a fairway wood like a three wood or five wood. And I remember Tiger chipping with his three wood, you know, many years ago, and and I've done it myself. Thirty or forty years ago, yeah. uh, chipping with a three width. So, I, I love the the hybrid play when it's when the ground is firm and fast, like it was at the British Open. Yeah. It's um, it's got about four or five times the loft of a putter, and it, it's easy to get the ball running, and it's yeah. a safer shot for most players. Yeah. Um, you know, when uh,
0: well, let, so, let me let me ask you, for Canadians. We don't have to deal with Bermuda grass yeah. up here in the north. Give me what you would suggest in terms of the gap in between the wedges. Like, for instance, I do 52, 56, and 60. Uh, with the kind of grass conditions we have, is that, is that a good selection, or should I have a wider gap between them?
1: No, I think that's good. About you know, 4 degrees between the wedges is, is pretty normal. If you're a stronger hitter and have a lot of speed, um, you might get away with 6 degrees, maybe a, a 46, a 52, and a right. 58 or something like that. So it really depends on, on uh, each player, but, you know, three to four is, is wedges is plenty.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of people get confused with the difference between chipping and pitching the ball. What's the difference?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> right. I, I think, you know, in, in a general sense, chipping is a lower shot and pitching is a higher shot, but not always the case. Um, pitching tends to, to generally be a little longer shot with a little more air time and, and the general rule of thumb uh, for either chipping or, or pitching is to try and land the ball in the first third of the green and let it run the rest of the way. Um, a lot of that will depend on, on the lay of the land and the, the conditions of the ground. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're chipping or pitching, I don't think there's a line that you can draw a, before this line you're chipping and, and across that line you're pitching it. It depends on the lie of the ball, the grass you're hitting out of. Um, so generally, if you're chipping, you're nearer the green and, and you're maybe playing more bump and run shots. Uh, when you're pitching and, and the ball's lying in deeper grass, uh, there's different shots that you need to learn. And, and typically we need a more lofted club out of, out of higher grass. Hmm.
0: Uh, one of the things that that somebody told me a couple of years ago, which I try to keep in mind, is keep your chest moving when you're hitting these when you're hitting these shorter shots. The instinct is always to sort of de-sell and stop at impact, etc. Keep the chest moving. What What are a couple of your best uh, hints when you're talking to somebody who's who's trying to refine their game?
1: I would say for either chipping or pitching that that the stance should be quite narrow, uh, maybe uh, slightly open, but not so much that your side saddle, that that's I see some people get into. I would have the ball in the same position as a normal shot that your, your back foot is moved up closer to your front foot. And the ball will appear to be closer to the back foot, which it is, but the ball really hasn't moved back. Um, with your feet closer together, you can push your weight more forward and, and have, we'll say roughly 80% pushed into your, your front side or the target side. Uh, which will help the contact uh, of the shot so it is helpful to have a small pivot uh you know into and around that that lead leg uh, to help your body sort of rotate especially for longer shots Um, and there's all kinds of shots uh, that one should learn around the green i see a lot of players that are one-dimensional and typically they're either really good at Bump and runs, and not so good at the high shot, or it could be the other way around where they, they feel more comfortable with high mm. shots and not so good with, with the bump and runs. And um, you know, there is a, a change in, in a technique somewhat where the higher shots need, you need more wrist hinge and whatnot. But mm. there's a variety of different shots that I like to coach my players uh, in terms of how to control the ball better.
0: And, and I guess finally on this subject, uh, getting back to what we talked about, the competition, that it's important, I would presume, for someone to go and simulate the kind of situations they're going to have at your course. In other words, get away from the, the regular uh, driving range and go to the chipping range and simulate downhill lies and uphill lies, et cetera. I, I would presume that's an important part, too.
1: Absolutely. You know, on the range, the range is pretty flat, typically. Um, not a lot of places to, to, to practice uneven lies, but around the short game green, uh, usually, there are some mounds and whatnot that you can practice some downhill uphill side hill lies mm. um, different types of grass, short grass long grass and I guess we can we can elaborate that you know when when you um, talk about you know different different situations and yeah. what kind of shots we should play
0: yeah uh next time when we do balls uh, pointers, we're going to talk about sand play, which is another thing that vexes people as well uh. Let's talk a little bit as well, while we're just on this, by the way, about deep lies versus tight lies. And people really, they they look at them both and see see the same shot. How are they different?
1: Well, they are quite different. Um, If we talk about deep lies first, um, you know, if if you find uh, your ball in deep grass and and the ball is lying kind of like a bird's nest where there's a ton of grass around the ball, you're not going to get clean access to the ball, so the ball is going to come out somewhat muffled and have kind of a knuckleball type of spin on it so when it lands it tends to release and roll more freely um, and we try and teach teach players how to basically play a bunker type shot from the deep grass. If the Which ball, means what? Well you're hitting a few inches behind the ball and you're, you're opening the face a little bit to add loft. Uh, a lot of times when the ball's in deep grass we're trying to stop the ball with trajectory with height and instead of spin because we can't get the spin on the ball, because right. we can't get clean access to it. Um, so it really depends on how it sits, but um, you know, a variety of different types of shots, typically in tall grass, you need more hinging of your wrists. Uh, kind of a more vertical feeling swing. So the players that have a, a flatter or get the club too far inside, they might be more comfortable with bump and runs and less comfortable with a higher shot because of how they take the club back on tight lies you know you have to look at um, the conditions if the ball's sitting nice but it's tight grass it's it's can be a little bit more nervy uh, for some players that aren't used to this and and if you need a high shot from tight grass that's a high soft shot we need to hit uh, slightly behind the ball on purpose Uh, and I would say if you can hit learn to hit half inch behind the ball um it takes the direct impact off the shot so the ball hits higher on the club face it comes off softer lands softer has Mm -hmm. a bit more control if if you need to stop the ball quicker Uh, and you know if you're hitting the ball first you, you hear that click of contact and often the ball shoots too far and goes past your target
0: because a lot of times when we look at those tight lies, we, we see our higher loft and say, oh, "Oh, I'm putting that away. I'm gonna take something to keep it on the ground because I'm afraid of a tight lie." Should we should we be still using those those high lofts on those tight lies?
1: Well, again, it depends. You know, I'm I'm quite comfortable myself with high soft shots, but there are days when I get up to a shot and I might have a choice to go high, mm-hmm. or I might have a choice to run it like with a hybrid, for example, and I just might not feel it at that moment. Say, I, I think I'm gonna take hybrid. Be, it's a safer play. Yeah. I might putt it, um, you know. So just it depends a little bit on how you feel um, at that moment. So I'll play uh, a conservative shot, if you will, but it's highly effective. Uh, but I'll play a high shot if I feel mm. fine at that moment. And I think for most uh, average golfers are you know a little bit scared of that lob wedge because if they make a mistake, mm. uh, it's certainly more magnified if you if you blade it and it runs across the green and you usually. Yeah in a more difficult situation than you began with. Um, <laughs> so if if there's any sort of doubt or hesitation, I would take the conservative route.
0: And as Harvey Penick says, remember, 70% of those shots, go and practice them. Make sure you have that proportion in your practice routine.
1: Yes, you should practice at least 70% on short game, chipping, pitching, bunker play, um, and obviously putting. Putting's probably you know 40-some percent of, of your score, so it makes sense to practice about 40% of your time on putting. Mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to Hit the Second Sh- Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. Uh, time for Horty's Handicaps. Uh, we're sitting here in the trough between the Open Championship and the Canadian Open as we speak. Uh, and we'll certainly, uh, we'll certainly have an interesting week as we come off of what happened on the weekend. But first of all, your take, Francesco Molinari, just a great, steady performance in winning the Open Championships. Your thoughts on what you saw this weekend.
1: Well, I saw the replay last night and uh, was quite impressed. Um, Molinari played the best in the end, and, and so he deserved the win. And his short game was spot on, so, um, you know, the, sort of, Goes hand in hand with we just talked about. Um, his putting was awesome and his his uh, chipping was spot on. So uh, I think that's what really won him the championship. Uh, he came he came into the tournament with a lot of confidence. I think he won twice um, yep. in the last five weeks prior to the Open. So he was arguably one of the hottest players in the world and and sometimes overlooked by the North American huh. viewers. But. Uh, he deserved it uh, it was quite compelling though to see that leaderboard um <laughs> with with nine or ten guys within a couple shots going into the back nine and you've got jordan spieth and tiger woods and and you know Coocher and justin rose coming up from just, just making the cut McElroy was right there so it was very compelling to say the least and um you know in the end it was a win by two and you know it looked like there was going to be a playoff when there was Six or seven guys kind of bunched in there.
0: Yeah, I, I just have to get your take on on Tiger. People are talking about it, the success of it, the fact that he, he that he was in the hunt the whole way. Some other people, however, are saying there's never going to be a course that's going to set up any better than this for Tiger, and uh, the the courses that we're going to see the rest of the year are going to accentuate his shortcomings at the moment. Your take on where Tiger is at the moment?
1: I think he's he's making strides towards potentially winning. Winning a tournament and winning possibly a major, his, he's swinging really well and and um, you know his game's developing. I, I would say it's a, even though he didn't finish the deal and he made some mistakes on 11 and 12 yesterday, um, he's he's moving forward. I believe and and uh, mm. should be exciting for golf.
0: Always is the highest ratings, I think, for an NBC golf broadcast since the early 2000s uh, for this one. So clearly people turn it on when Tiger's there. Uh, Dustin Johnson. He missed the cut. A bunch of guys missed the cut in this past one, and we're going to be lucky in Canada because we're going to see Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka. a really strong field at the Canadian Open in in Glen Abbey. The last year that it's in in its uh, this July uh, position, it's moving to early June. We could talk about that if you want as well. Uh, but uh, j- just a sense of what we're looking at with the Canadian Open coming into this weekend at Glen Abbey. Who do you like?
1: Well, there's a lot of people. Um... Yeah, you know, I, I would maybe lean towards someone like Kevin Kisner, who's obviously putting well, played well at the open. Uh, I think he was tied for, tied for uh, it's minus six, I think he's yep. tied for second. So, um, you know, he looks pretty good. Uh, Matt Kuchar's playing well. Uh, he's there. There's a ton of Canadians in the field. And, you know, always nice to see uh, <laughs> the Canadians move up there. I know Jared Dutois is playing and he finished, I think it was ninth. Um, a while back at the Open. So um, I think there's a, a ton of Canadians, and, you know, they haven't won since 1954 when Pl- Pat Fletcher won it, um, but you never know. Uh, but, you know, there's the, the Canadians are outnumbered, but uh, we certainly can cross your fingers here. <laughs>
0: Now, I'm not. I'm not sure that Glen Abbey necessarily suits the Hadwins and the and the players who are our best players at the moment. Uh, a, a tip of the cap to Adam for the performance at the Open Championship. Made the cut, survived all of those things, had a respectable score. He, he certainly was, he was. looked a couple of times like he might make, make a move, uh, and it didn't happen. But anyhow, a good finish, and uh, it'll be interesting to see just how he handles Glen Abbey, which isn't necessarily suited to him.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's he's been very steady. Uh, T to green and i expect him to have a good tournament and and hopefully he's contending on sunday um there's a number of other players and uh as i mentioned uh, jared detroit and um i'm not sure how adam svensson's playing these days but he's sort of a a name from uh, lower level tours but he's uh very capable of going low, and, and yeah. he might surprise.
0: I saw Nick Taylor playing the Barbasol, which was the B-League uh, PGA event uh, this past weekend, and he seemed to be doing well as well. So uh, Nick Taylor's another name. I, listen, there's only one name in Canadian golf, really, when we're talking about accomplishment, of course, that's Brooke Henderson. I noticed, by the way, that they let Brittany Linsicum into the PGA event at the Barbasol. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be of the instinct to maybe let her come and play in the Canadian Open at least the first two rounds to get, get the, the gate up. And in any event, just your sense of where she is right now. She seems to be going from strength to strength.
1: You're talking Brooke? Brooke Anderson, uh, yeah. Uh, her game's fantastic. Uh, you know, she just uh, has the whole package. I think she can, she can probably improve on sand saves and maybe get her putting better. But she drives it long. She hits a lot of greens in regulation. Um, she's starting to putt a little bit better. She makes a ton of birdies, so she's making a lot of those birdie putts. I think she's um, in the top ten in birdies made this year. So, and she's got a great, a great mind, uh, champion's mind, where she's not afraid and, and yeah. she goes after it. Yeah,
0: that'd be kind of neat to see her playing. Glenn, I, mean, I know maybe it might be a bit much for her to put her in against Dustin Johnson, but you know what? We're Canadians. We can do what we want with our Open.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and I know before we wrap up the episode, I know at the end of every episode, you'd like to recognize some people who have helped us here uh, doing the podcast at the PGA of Canada.
1: Well, I'd like to thank the PGA of Canada for giving me the opportunity here, uh, also the PGA of Alberta. Um, we have a new partner now with the Golf Channel Academy and Heritage Point, Nike Golf, Callaway, and Aimpoint Golf.
0: And next time you'll uh, let us know uh, maybe if you're going to get yourself on onto the Golf Channel. We'd like to see you on TV there, Horty.
1: We hope so. Someday, hopefully. Yeah.
0: <laughs> then, then you can ask me. I can coach you on that. You coach me on golf, I'll coach you on TV. As always, thanks very much, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobigan. We look forward to chatting again. Don't forget, you can find the podcast on the PGA of Canada website, on iTunes, and you can also find it on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Hope you had a chance to find our earlier episodes on the PGA of Canada website or on my website, Not the Public Broadcaster. We'll give you the links for both a little later in the show. Now, without further ado, let's bring in Paul Horton here at the Golf Channel Teaching Academy. By the way, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you here at the Golf Channel Academy?